turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Kirk Elliott, PhD. In an uncertain economy, if you're looking for wealth management solutions and financial advice, go to kirkelliottphd.com and make an appointment today. Coming up, I'll outline several ways in which the U.S. government and the left are attempting to block the distribution of police state. Pro-life activist Beverly Beatty Williams, who was featured in the movie, joins me. We're going to talk about how she came face-to-face with the police state in New York. And I'll reveal how a recent case in Connecticut provides startling corroboration of the premise of 2,000 mules. Hey, if you're watching on Rumble, listening on Apple, Google, or Spotify, please subscribe to my channel. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Show. America needs this voice. The times are crazy. In a time of confusion, division, and lies, we need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. One of the um, features of making a movie called Police State is that, well, the defenders of the police state come after you. They try to block the movie one way or the other. When we had our virtual premiere... Um, this was October 27th. In the last couple of hours, the whole website was kind of under a cyber attack. They were trying to block people from gaining access to at the last minute. Now, obviously, it would have been better to sign up earlier, but there were lots of people at the last minute trying to get in and they couldn't because the, the ticketers who handled the site were immobilized by the cyber attacks. They ultimately were able to thwart them, but it takes a little while to be able to do that. So at a critical moment, we lost a bunch of viewers. Now, hopefully we'll pick them back up in streaming and in DVD. But nevertheless, this is the kind of thing that we deal with. Now, who's doing this? Uh, apparently, as we looked into it, some of it was coming from India and Pakistan. Now, I'm assuming this is not like organic. The Indians and Pakistanis didn't do it. Someone was putting them up to it. But the, the cyber attack was coming from from abroad. Now, again, I'm not saying this, this could have been some leftist group. It could have been some, um, I'm not saying it was the U.S. government. But, but we did have one interesting encounter with the U.S. government in which uh, Debbie sent a wire uh, and this is for some ads that we bought on Salem Media. We, we deal with Salem Media all the time. In fact, this podcast is in partnership with Salem Media. So Debbie, wire is Salem Media uh, money? It's uh, around $100,000, a little over that, for an, for an advertising program with Salem. And guess what? That wire is intercepted by the Treasury Department. There's a division of the Treasury Department called OFAC. And when we look it up, it's the Office of Foreign Asset Control. In other words, it's an 
It's an office of the U.S. Treasury that's supposed to monitor things like international sanctions, international narcotics trafficking, international terrorism. And we're like, wait, what? This benign wire that we sent for the purpose of advertising, you've intercepted. So we, you know, we realize, look, police states are, they do this kind of thing, but they, that doesn't mean that you can't push back. And so our pushback was really in two directions. One is I called up John O'Connor, who's a former federal prosecutor. He's in the movie. And he's like, I'll be delighted to represent you. They'll be hearing from me Monday morning. You're going to get your money back for sure. In fact, they're going to have to give some explanation for why they have put their grubby fingers on your funds. Uh, and number two, I told key people that we know in the media. I told Newsweek. I told Gateway Pundit. I told Town Hall. And so you had all these journalists calling up OFAC and demanding to find out what's happening with the with the money of police state. Why did you take a private movie company's money? They have nothing to do with international narcotics or international terrorism. And guess what? OFAC decided to release the money. And when I told John O'Connor we got our money back, you actually don't have to write your strongly worded legal letter. He goes, you know what? Dinesh, it's very unusual for OFAC to take your money. And he goes, it is even more unusual for them to give it right back. Normally, they hang on to it for weeks, if not months. I was confident that you would get it back, but I didn't know when you would get it back. So they obviously do not want to be trying to give an explanation for why they took your money. In any event, the issue is resolved. The money is back in our account. But here's the latest. Um, neither Amazon nor Walmart will allow us to sell DVDs. Now, think about this. Um, you might say, well, isn't this because this is a banned topic or something? No, it's not even that. There's nothing in police state that's been banned. It's not a banned topic. Moreover, it's not even a topic that's subject to any kind of fact checks. There hasn't been a single fact check and there's not a single disputed fact in the movie. And in fact, how can there be? We're talking about, we're describing events that occurred. People are testifying about their personal experience, in many cases accompanied by dash cam footage and surveillance video. So there's, the movie is, is irrefutable. It's in, undisputable. And so why wouldn't these companies like Amazon simply open themselves up? We're not asking them to take any risk, uh, but they won't sell the movie. And what that means is that it is all the more imperative that we create a parallel economy where we can buy stuff from people who are open-minded, who will sell products like this. So so if you want to get DVDs, there's an easy way to get them. You're just not going to get them from Amazon. You're not going to get them from Walmart. And how sad it is, Walmart actually started out as a conservative company. It really isn't anymore. This is part of the the left's infiltration, even of companies like Walmart. But if you go to the website, policestatefilm.net, you can buy DVDs from Shopify, or you can buy DVDs from Salem, which is Salem now. And the links are both, there are tabs on the website. So you just click Shopify if you want to go there. You click Salem if you want to go there. The price is the same. Uh, you'll get efficient uh, customer treatment that people are getting their DVDs, enjoying them. Great way, by the way, to stock up on presents for Christmas. This is a this is a fantastic film. Anyone you shared with is going to be really grateful that you did. So policestatefilm.net, get your DVDs today. There's nothing worse than hearing about people living in pain. This is why I want to tell you about Keith from Washington and his Relief Factor story. After years of activity from college football to running a martial arts studio at age 51, Keith's body felt like it was wearing out. So he gave Relief Factor a try. 
Heath says he now has, quote, little to no pain in my knees and highly reduced neck pain. He's feeling so much better. He pursued a second degree black belt. What a story. And you know, on a personal note, it has worked for me and Debbie, our family and friends. If you're living with aches and pains, see how Relief Factor, a daily drug-free supplement, could help you feel and live better every day. To get you started, try the Relief Factor 3-Week Quick Start Kit. It's only $19.95 and comes with a feel better or your money back guarantee visit. ReliefFactor.com is the place to go or call 800-4-RELIEF. Again, the number to call 800-4-RELIEF or go to ReliefFactor.com. You'll feel the difference. Guys, I'm really happy to welcome back to the podcast our friend Bevelyn Beatty-Williams. She is, um, well, she's one of the stars of Police State. Delighted to have her in the film. And she's also co-founder of Atwell Ministries. The website is atwell, A-T-W-E-L-L, ministries.org. Bevelyn, what a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Uh, let's start by talking about, uh, about the Mar-a-Lago premiere. You were there uh, all decked out with your husband and tell us about uh, your experience. Okay. So Mar-a-Lago, I know we were there for the movie, but it also was a movie. It was a movie. It was, it was so nice about a pool, the best food, open bar, you know, for the Christians who sip. It was cute. You know, it was good. I couldn't, I couldn't eat every. I was so mad because the food was so good. But you gotta talk to everybody, and I'm like, if I had it my way, I would have just been like, leave me alone, let me eat, and then we'll talk afterwards. Yeah, beautiful. Everybody looked amazing. Your wife looked good. She was wearing them heels. Y'all, she had these silver pumps like this long one. Okay, she was looking real cute. You know, Denish was decked out in his three piece situation. Y'all, it was fun. It was very fun. Good, good. Uh, delighted you had a good time. I thought the mood was really nice, and of course. For us, having made the movie, it's also fun to see people's reaction live, you know, in such a big setting with an, uh, in a huge auditorium, huge screen, and, and notice how people spontaneously respond to the movie. Now, you had seen the film earlier uh, in the theater, right? Yes. Yeah, so I went to the theater and saw it, and I, I have to say, like, I think this is the first movie of yours where I've ever saw, like, real emotion being pricked out of someone. Um, so in the theaters, it was just a lot of a lot of tears, a lot of like frustration. And I think it was kind of overwhelming for Americans to see because it wasn't like your typical Obama movie or your Hillary movie. It was like the people. And then it's like blow after blow after blow after blow. It was kind of mind boggling what could be done in four years, what type of damage could be done. Right. But I think at Mar-a-Lago, I realized most of the people that came didn't watch it. They must have had waited for the premiere. So it was all cute and it was fun and it was social. But once the movie started to play, I think that's when things got real for people. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, uh, and you're a part of this in the film is, you know, there's, we didn't just focus on Trump or even just on January 6th, although there's some very powerful material about January 6th in the movie. We're showing ordinary Americans who are going about their lives. They're maybe participating in civic life where their moms were concerned about their kids' education. In your case, the pro-life issue. And then bam, you come face to face with this kind of police state, uh, tactics. And it is, it is kind of a shock. I mean, it's a shock when you experience it. And it's a shock also for a lot of Americans who don't know this is going on to discover yeah. that it is. 
Yeah. I mean, you've, I you've been through it, and so yeah. you know from experience, but you can see how someone who has had no experience of it, they're like, they find it a little hard to believe because they've, they've grown up in an innocent America where this kind of thing wasn't really happening. Yeah, I think it's one thing when you're playing politics and it's just a bunch of words crossing with one another and it's a couple of laws being put in to just kind of show your stance, but it's another when you're in the middle of a revolution and you don't know it. Right. Right. And I think for your movie, it kind of, you know, I have to say this, you know, real people will feel it a lot more than your commentators, because I think they're kind of protected by, you know, connections and, you know, things, you know what I'm talking about. So they don't really feel it how people with boots on the ground feel it. And I think your movie kind of makes people feel feel it in their gut like the state of emergency that we're in that we're in the middle of a revolution that we're at war and it's not just your typical war of order this is like you're fighting indians not, not let me not say that i don't want to sound crazy but it's like a street fight it's like the pilgrims going through it with the indians they're trying to fight there the indians are fighting from the woods you know that's exactly where we're at with the democrat party it's it's a street fight but yeah we're in the ring thinking don't hit below the belt but they're already tearing up our legs yeah i think that's exactly right and i'm very aware of that even when my case the campaign finance case came up several years ago I was like, a lot of mm-hmm. people kept telling me, oh, Dinesh, you're so brave and so on to go up against the government. But I did have a lot of assets on my side, even while that case was going on. I mean, number one, I was obviously, I had very good attorneys. Uh, number two, I was, every time I was, I came to New York for a, a you know, for a, for a session with the judge, I'd go on the Megyn Kelly show. So I had the exposure of Fox News. Whereas what you're saying Mm -hmm. is, and I think this is right, a lot of ordinary citizens don't have access to those kinds of weapons to hit back. Even ultimately the pardon that I got from Trump, I mean, obviously I had to have some connections to be able to even get my case put before Trump for him to give me a pardon. So all of this is a way of saying that there are many ordinary citizens who are in a much more vulnerable position and and some of those, not all, but there because there are many other cases are profiled in, in police state. Yeah, I mean, it's a tyranny, you know, like you said, you're in a position to where you can handle, okay, if you're hit with some some fees and you got to get lawyers. And I think, you know, so crazy, they play this game on purpose to kind of deplete you. They use the system to deplete you. I think most of the time when they bring a case up, they're pretty sure it's going to get thrown out or dismissed or um, eradicated, right? But in the meantime, there's this game they can play where, you know, Trump is going through what I'm going through. They take my passport. I'm not allowed to leave the Southern District of Tennessee without permission. I am not allowed to do ministry at all, or they will deny my travels. Uh, they say I'm a threat to the nation. I have court fees. I have uh, le- legal fees. And then on top of that, I still have to live and be a mom and live a regular life. So if anything else, if they can just bleed my bank account out and tie me up, for a good year or two until the case is over. For them, it would have still been a win because I was in an invisible jail for two years. Absolutely. Uh, Bevelyn, let's take a pause. We'll be right back with Bevelyn Beatty-Williams. Thank you. I hope you saw my interview a few days ago with Dr. Kirk Elliott, PhD. This is a guy who has a good understanding of both the U.S. and the global economy. 
And during times of economic uncertainty and political upheaval, it's crucial to have a reliable source of financial guidance and insight. And this is where Dr. Elliott and his esteemed wealth management advisory firm come into play. Dr. Elliott has distinguished himself. He's got two PhDs, one in economics, one in theology. He's built a reputation in expert financial solutions tailored to your unique needs. His firm specializes in wealth management, offering a comprehensive array of services to protect and grow your assets in an ever-changing world. In an environment that is filled with economic volatility, shifting political landscapes, it's finding a trusted partner during these challenges is essential. Dr. Elliott's firm employs cutting-edge strategies, a good understanding of markets to guide you toward financial success. Go to kirkelliottphd.com slash Dinesh. Now that's Kirk Elliott PhD with two L's and two T's. Kirk Elliott PhD.com slash Dinesh. Book an appointment. They'll walk you through their process. Again, it's Kirk Elliott PhD.com slash Dinesh, or you can call or text. Here's the number 720-605-605. 3900. I'm back with Bevelyn Beatty Williams, co-founder of Atwell Ministries. Atwellministries.org is the website. Bevelyn, when we left off, you were kind of jumping into your case and the way in which they're able to use this kind of legal bludgeon to, to push you back, put, put you up against the wall. Let's back up and talk about the, the case itself. Uh, let's begin at the beginning. Talk about, well, talk about, first of all, what what mobilized you into pro-life activism specifically? Because you have a broad-based ministry, but you decided to concentrate on the pro-life issue. Why was that? Um, for me, what activated it was Governor Cuomo. Thank God for him, right? Um, he decided to appease the people, or I guess, yeah, New York, and legalize abortion up to nine months. And from that moment, you know, past then I was just doing a street ministry, homeless ministry. And I really focused on what I thought typically to be what needed to be ministered to. And I, I got to admit, it was kind of small minded for me because the Lord was like really teaching me. You have to focus on the poor spirit, not just the guy that's outside begging for money. You know, everybody needs Jesus. But at the same time, I, I guess I just got so used to it. We didn't really put our mind or our hearts into abortion. We would dabble in it here and there, but we had a huge wake-up call when he legalized abortion up to nine months. Uh, we, we didn't fight. Yeah, Go ahead. you were describing, Bevelyn, I think you you told me that you were sitting with your friend uh, and yes. just talk about that scene. Oh, yeah. So now it happens now. We, we find out about it. He lights the... Um, Empire State Building up pink. And so now we're parked in front of her house on 66th Avenue West in Manhattan, sitting in my Jeep. And it was the weirdest thing. Like, we were so silent. We sat there. And it's like, you know, we felt it together. We felt defeated and depleted. And we just felt foolish. And I felt like, wow, he did this right under our nose. We didn't have no fight, nothing. It's just, it, and it was just a celebration. And we just felt so at loss, Right. And so from that day forward, we were just like, you know what? We have to do something. We can't sit back and do nothing and be caught again idle. And we just decided, OK, next weekend, every weekend, we're hitting that abortion clinic Friday and Saturday. And we're going to preach and yell or whatever it takes to let people know they're doing abortions at nine months and it's murder. Yeah. And this was this was the Planned Parenthood Clinic in, in New York City. And you That's began right. a routine. You say in the movie, you know, they open at seven. We get there at six thirty. 
and uh, right. you were out there and you were loud and you were ta- let's talk about talk more about the scene out there and then also this was some of this was going on in the time of covid right yes oh man so i lived in staten island when we first started hitting the streets so i would drive like 45 minutes from staten island to the city to go and so we would be there six in the morning what they would do is usually when they knew that uh, you know um pro-lifers were going to be there they would schedule it around the pro-lifers and most pro-lifers came around 11 12 o'clock so what they would do is they would have all of the abortions at like six in the morning and then they'll have all you know the pro-lifers come so you would actually never meet any of the girls except uh, unless they're going to get like a shot or birth control or something like that so when we figured it out they weren't ready for us to be there 6.30 and sometimes 6, 5 in the morning. And on top of that, the neighborhood. This is like liberal nation, smack dab, middle of Soho. You got gay guys walking back and forth in freaking thongs and feathers. And they couldn't take it. They couldn't take it. So, <laughs> so we get in front of there, right? I have to tell you the story. We're preaching the gospel. We're feeling it. We're feeling good. And then now all of a sudden... The people that would be counseling there, they would be like, you know, you guys are too loud. We just want to show the women love. We want to counsel to the women. But they didn't understand that our passion was from love. Our passion was from the state of emergency. Because, again, nine months, I was, I'm was, i a mommy. That's a full baby, right? So one day, we're standing out there. We have been listening to the criticism. We're like, all right, maybe we're in the flesh. Maybe we're not operating in the spirit. So let's try to calm down, be a little bit more nicer to the girls. So this happens. We're standing at the door and this happened all at like in a matter of seconds. One woman walks up. She's six months pregnant, poked out. As I see her get out the car, my heart drops to my stomach, Dinesh. I didn't know what to do. I was freaking out. And I had I, tears were just coming out of my eyes. And I was just like, I was begging her. I was like, Miss, please, please don't go in there. Please let us talk to you. Please, we'll do anything. I'm, I, I'm almost at the verge of getting on my knees and begging this woman not to go in this building. She says, shut up. You're a woman. You should know what it's like. Mind your business. And curses me out. Now, I'm going to let you know right now, I am not one to get cursed out. Take love, Jesus. I'll take it. So now, as she's cursing me out, she walks through the door. Then the worker lady, she walks through the door. Like I think a uh, half of half of the building down from me, she walks by and she says, "Go f yourself." Right? Okay. I take that one on the chin too. But then this guy walks in front of us, and I mean, Dinesh, his eyes were like black. It's as if he had no white pupil. His eyes were completely black. And he just, he had a very effeminate uh, personality. And he, he he came up to me and said, you know what? We're going to eat those babies for breakfast. And you see my fist? I can stick it in my behind. And he says that to me. Now, mind you, I just got hit with the pregnant chick, then the working chick. And now here he comes. And something bubbled out of my stomach. And I was like, well, let me tell you something. Jesus defeated death in the grave. No matter what you do, you've already lost the war. And we're preaching and preaching. But let me tell you something right now. We had that block on lockdown. Ain't no counseling. Ain't no girls coming for nothing. Nobody was coming to that clinic. That clinic was a ghost town. When we, me and Edmund was in front of there preaching that gospel, people wasn't coming. You had people driving up, planning to get an abortion. They see us preaching that gospel, they were out. 
And that's what they couldn't take about us. Oh, that's so interesting. In other words, you're saying it was so effective that by and large people were, it's almost like you stirred up their conscience, right? Just by, just by your presence and by being loud, you weren't physically blocking them from access. You were just trying to no. talk them into changing their mind. We dominated through Christian influence and people don't realize when you have a Christian influence, it is the strongest influence to have. And it does dominate. So just being there, we possessed the gates and we were hurting their pockets. They felt it. You know, it, it was no need for me to try to convert this chick or convert that chick. It wasn't happening. They didn't want to be there. No one. You know, when a woman comes to get an abortion, she's going to have her hat low. She's going to have on baggy clothes so no one uh, recognizes her. It's not a glorified thing. I mean, it used to not be to go and just kill your baby. Right. And so we use that to our advantage, bringing the light to darkness. And we saw it was effective. They weren't making money. And then we did a rally. And somehow, someway, Letitia James decided I'm going to sue them in favor of Planned Parenthood. And that's how she got us away from there. Let's start by talking about your case. You're facing charges under the so-called FACE Act. Uh, the FACE yes. Act is the act that says you cannot interfere with the, uh, with people who are trying to gain access to reproductive services. That's what the, that's the, the basic idea of the law. Uh, what are you being charged with and for what exactly? Okay. So this is very interesting. I'm being charged with conspiracy for FACE okay. because I've traveled to other places. I'm being indicted in New York. I'm charged for all of the different other abortion clinics that I've been to around the state, around the country. Um, and I'm also being charged because me and my best friend go to the abortion clinic together. So we're conspiring to do face <laughs> is what they're saying. I see. And then that's right. And then because we are right. turning people from going, this is how they're using face, which is technically illegal. <laughs> what they're saying is that. You're technically involved in face because even if you speak to someone and you kind of get them to turn around, yes. you are then interfering with an abortion. Oh, wow. Right? So they're in other words, yes. let's pause here because they're not saying that you are physically interposing yourself and preventing someone from getting in. They're claiming that your attempt to persuade them not to get an abortion is interference in itself. Wow. Yes. So I have to give you the details on this. This is a trip. This is the thing about me, Dinesh. Now, are there some people who have stood in front of abortion clinics, changed themselves to the doors, yes. laid in front of the doors and made the fire department and all that come? Yes. And kudos to them. I will never shame them for standing where they're at. But the way Beverly's set up, it's New York. People pissing poop on the sidewalk. I am not standing on no sidewalk, laying on no sidewalk, chaining myself to nothing. That's not happening. And my nails, I'm not breaking my nails. So that already in that conversation, but on top of that, right, they yeah, had this barricade. Now, the thing is, they don't own the block. They don't own, you know, New York, the public sidewalk is paid for by the people. Yep. They will they put these barricades up because they didn't want us to be in front of the door. But the thing is, those barricades were illegal. So in the video that they're charging me in, at some point, the cops come and remove yep. the barricades and tell yep. Planned Parenthood these yep. are illegal. Yep. So by default, I was cornered to be in front of the door, blocking the door because of the barricades yep. they put up. But then on top of that, me being there is intimidating. Me preaching the gospel, being loud, that's considered intimidating or can be taken as it and therefore it causes for face. 
And then some woman, you say this in the film, got her finger stuck in the door, her hand stuck in the door, and somehow she turns around and blames you for it. Now, r- without going into the details of the incident, my question is, how can you be facing 15 years for what is nothing more than a street protest? Uh, however they want to construe it, it's just nonsensical. And yet this is, this is again the, the America we are apparently in now. Yeah, I'm facing the same time as Hunter Biden. Wow. I haven't done none of the things he's done. I haven't made half of the money he's made and laundered from the people of this country. But yet me and him are facing the same time. It's so sad. Um, the Beverly, woman that Beverly, let's, take, let's take a pause. We'll come right back and do a final segment and, and, and close out on this. Thank you. Last month, the G20 announced it welcomed discussion of the effects of implementing central bank digital currencies in their countries. Now, these digital currencies could allow the government to track every purchase you make. They could even allow officials to prohibit you from purchasing certain products or easily freeze or seize part or all of your money. In effect, they enable the government to control your finances. Now, concerned Americans like me, and I hope you are diversifying our assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold Group. If you want a physical asset held in a tax-sheltered retirement account, you should contact Birch Gold. Debbie and I are customers. We buy our gold through Birch Gold. But find out for yourself. Text Dinesh to 989898. They'll send you a free information kit on gold. No obligation, only information. And here's the easiest way to become a customer. If you have an IRA or a 401k from a previous employer, Birch Gold can help you convert it into an IRA in gold and you you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Again, text Dinesh to 989898. Claim your free information kit on gold and call Birch Gold because if digital currency becomes a reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to fall back on. I'm back with Bevelyn Beatty-Williams, co-founder of Atwell Ministries. It's atwellministries.org. Um, so, Bevelyn, this has been an ordeal having to deal with all this legal nonsense going on with the government um, is it something that has brought you down? I mean, it's hard, it's hard not to feel the weight of the full power of, it, not in this case, not the federal government. I guess it's the state of New York that is bringing these charges against you or are they federal charges. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's two things, the hit financially. And I think kind of the loneliness. Yeah. I feel like it's one thing when you're social and it's it's something to comment about. And I feel like it's another when you're in the thick of it, you find yourself alone. And I, I believe that's where you come in, Dinesh. I mean, you the only one, honestly, who's brought light to this situation in my case. And then on top of that, you financially helped us. I mean, we were at the end of our rope. We I didn't even know how we were gonna pay our rent. And you just I I I petitioned to you for help and you I mean, you didn't waste time. You were like, I'm sending something right now, I got you. And for me, I was just like, you know what, Lord, I got to maximize on this blessing because, uh, shoot, I, you know, I don't I don't work a nine to five. I'm a business girl. So I'm like, OK, I have a business idea. I got to maximize. And you got to you got to multiply what the Lord gives you. Right. So I started a business with it. And I mean, just everything that you and your wife have done for me, you guys literally saved us. And you really gave me a voice. And I mean, a big voice at that, like on that um, um, in a movie at Mar-a-Lago at that in my situation you've just been such a blessing you and your wife are just and I've told you that when I met you what your mantle is and how the Lord is using you but you guys have just been beyond opening doors and loving and favorable to me it's and that's really the truth 
Evelyn, talk about the business. I want to have you, uh, I want to give you a chance to talk about the business and also how people can find out more about it and check out the products. Why not? Okay. So number one, your wife is one of my customers. I can proudly say she ordered from us. So I'm a woman. And while I did do ministry, even though I was on those streets day and night, I ain't never stink. Okay. Still push for the Lord without smelling. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I would smell so good. Sometimes the the, the the liberals will be like, you know what, I hate you, but you smell good. There we go. Okay. So I decided to start a line called Aromatherapy, which it's been in my heart to do since Jersey, since I was preaching the gospel. I just didn't have the courage. But it's a spray, it's a deodorant stick, it's basically Christian intimate care that's organic and it's made to just keep women fresher for a longer period of time. We got these conservative warriors and these Christian warriors out here taking taking the world by storm. And we just want to smell good while we do it and we want to be healthy while we do it. So you can find my stuff at Aroma. TheraV.com. And we also have it coming for guys soon. But yes, it's the perfect spray, perfect deodorant to just keep you fresh and also ministerial drops for your cycle so that you always smell good no matter what your situation. Okay, that's fine. Probably not my topic to delve into. But <laughs> however, however, I'll make sure that Debbie posts the website up um, on the uh, on the screen so people can check it out. And as uh, yeah, I think Debbie's awaiting the first order. She's become it's a, a subscriber, and and so she's so, uh, so, so he'll he'll Debbie he'll lay next to it, but he won't talk about it, right? <laughs> Alrighty, Beverly and Beatty Williams. On that note, thank you very much for joining the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Debbie and I are on a really good health journey, but we still struggle to eat enough fruits, veggies, and fiber, and that is a requirement. Now, lucky for us, we discovered Balance of Nature, and there's no better way to get all your fruits and veggies plus fiber than with Balance of Nature. This is Balance of Nature's fruits and veggies in a capsule, so easy to take, made from fresh whole produce. The produce is powdered after an advanced vacuum cold process, which stabilizes the maximum nutrient content. And this is Balance of Nature's fiber and spice, a proprietary blend of fiber and 12 spices for overall and digestive health. Join Debbie and me. Start your journey to better health right now. Call 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. You'll get 35% off your first preferred order by using discount code AMERICA. Again, it's balanceofnature.com or call 800-246-8751. Get 35% off your first preferred order by using discount code AMERICA. Can anybody say 2,000 mules? I... um. I kick off my segment with this comment because there are three election cases that are in court right now. And one of those three has already resulted in an overturned election. And when you hear the details, you cannot help but think about 2,000 mules because what is being disputed in these cases is precisely illegal votes, illegal votes in some cases being delivered illegally, with money changing hands for the people making those illegal deliveries using mail-in drop boxes, all captured on, you guessed it, surveillance video. And I think what's happened is that when people look at the surveillance video in these cases, they're like, oh my gosh, this is what we saw in 2000 Mules. This was actually Megyn Kelly. I just saw Megyn Kelly on an episode where she was talking to, I think it was Adam Carolla, 
And uh, Megan said, um, she goes, you know, when I was having Dinesh on last year to talk about 2000 Mules, some of my friends told me, don't have Dinesh on because even though he's a smart guy, the movie is full of lies. And Megan Kelly's like, how do you know it's lies? I mean, have you talked to any of those people on that surveillance video? Do you do you have any knowledge of the situation? You don't. You have no idea. You're just assuming it's lies because you've swallowed the propaganda that this was the safest, most secure election in history. So fortunately, Megan wasn't conned uh, by this kind of uh, attempt to intimidate her. Oh, it's all lies. And, and And this is as long as they can do that in a chorus, it works. But what's happening with these cases and there is essentially the truth is starting to come out. And what's I think the reason the truth is coming out is because these are fights among Democrats. In fact, in, in an interesting case, you you have well, one of the cases involves a um, a Democratic judge in Connecticut. This is probably the most prominent case in Bridgeport, Connecticut. The judge has overturned the results of a Democratic mayoral primary and he's ordered a new election. And Why? Because the judge saw video after video of the Democratic clerk stuffing illegal ballots into the city drop box and visiting it multiple times in a single day. Uh, the video was, by the way, leaked by a whistleblower. It was put out by Gateway Pundit. And after the video was released, the guy who lost the mayoral race, a guy named John Gomes, held a press conference. He goes, I've got a lot of evidence of cheating. He put it out there and decided to challenge this in court. It went to court. And the city registrar of voters admitted in court that she had been violating the law on mail-in ballots for years. She's been in her position, by the way, for 20 years. I think what we're learning here is that Democrats have perfected these cheating strategies on themselves. And they've also been doing it for a long time. They might have ramped it up under COVID, but they didn't invent this sort of strategy uh, for the 2020 election. They have been doing it beforehand. They were doing it in their own races, even in local races. And this is where the evidence is now coming out. Now, there's been shocking footage coming out of Springfield, Massachusetts, where you can see, uh, you can see, uh, people committing fraud, uh, right in front of your eyes. In fact, city hall officials have written sworn affidavits saying that the candidate, his name is Justin Hurst, Basically, was paying homeless people $10 to vote for him. So he drives you to the ballot box. You, when you arrive at the ballot box, you're, you're given an I voted early sticker. You show him the sticker and then you get the money. And let's remember, if you remember 2000 meals, we talked about meals being paid per ballot. How much, how, what was the amount of money that was described as being paid per ballot? $10. So again, uh, obviously we have nothing to do with this particular case, but isn't it interesting that the, the fee per vote is exactly the same as described in 2000 mules. So this stuff is now coming out. It's blowing ultimately the whistle that this stuff is real. It's not made up. And even though there wasn't follow-up investigations, which, by the way, is not totally a surprise, the investigations in mules were done in Democratic districts. But the real problem is that there were Republicans who were in a position to do these investigations but never did. I'm thinking, for example, of the Republican attorney general in Arizona. He could have done it. He never did, or he never did a thorough investigation of mules. Same in Georgia. There's a Republican establishment. They could have investigated. They didn't. Uh, in other words, no systematic investigation, no attempt to interview the, the mules, no attempt to trace where they got those ballots, even though you see backpacks of ballots in the film. So it's nice to be 
to have this vindication. In other words, I didn't really need it. The vindication of the movie is in the movie itself. It's the evidence put forward in the film. But here is some supporting data coming out later that goes, guys, you were on the right track after all. Mike Lindell just keeps on introducing great deals. He's featuring the all-new My Towels. Save 50% off the six-piece towel set, regular price $59.96. But now, for a limited time, $29.98 with promo code Dinesh. Debbie and I have Mike's My Towels all over the house. We love them for ourselves. We also love to get them as Christmas presents. Very practical. Good idea for you to think about. The My Towel six-piece set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, two washcloths, these towels are just amazing. The long staple length of Sherper cotton fibers makes them very soft because of the long fibers. They wrap around each other more easily, creating a smoother and softer fabric. Softer to touch without the lotiony feel and also super absorbent. So take advantage of the 50% off on the six-piece towel set. Call 800-876-0227 or go to MyPillow.com. Make sure to use the promo code. It's D-I-N-E-S-H Dinesh. This morning, I checked into my Twitter and my Twitter mailbox, and I see a shared a post that Steven Crowder dropped into my mailbox, and it's a big scoop that Crowder got, which is he got leaked the first three pages of the Nashville Trans Shooters Manifesto. Now, the trans shooter, of course, is the 28-year-old transgender um, male who was going by the name Aiden Hale. It was actually uh, Audrey Hale. But in any event, um, this manifesto has been around. It was actually found on, uh, I don't know if it was found at the scene of the crime or in uh, Hale's apartment. But nevertheless, it has never been released. Now, you might you might think about why they didn't release it. I think the reason is obvious. They they acted like, well, we're, we're, we're thinking about releasing it, but we're not really a little uncomfortable about releasing it because of the the danger that it might pose to the safety of trans people. Wait a minute, you got a trans shooter. And the trans shooter revealed uh, the motives for the shooting. And you're not releasing it. That doesn't seem to be a valid reason. What is the real reason? Well, I think the real reason is pretty obvious. And that is that the government has been putting out the propaganda that the threat is coming from the right. The threat is not coming from the trans. The, the threat is against the trans. The threat, the threat is from white supremacists. And so as a result, here you've got facts that support a counter narrative. And the counter narrative is, wait a minute. Uh, there is uh, a clear-cut case here of left-wing, ideologically motivated violence against conservatives and Christians. And that's why a Christian school was targeted. This wasn't an accidental choice. And the manifesto is going to shed some light on that. And we still don't have the whole manifesto. But I don't know how Crowder got it, but we got the, the beginnings of the manifesto. And the beginnings of the manifesto tell you exactly why they tried to suppress it. Here we go. Uh, so Hale, the, the shooter, talks about the fact that I quote, wanna kill all you little crackers. So right here you see the idea that you guys are cracker, of course, is a slur for white people. I'm gonna kill you white people. Quote, I hope you, I have a high death count. I'm ready. I hope my victims aren't. I'm ready to die. So, um, so, um, the, um, and then it goes on to talk about the fact that, and I've got these, I've got these, um, 
It talks about those crackers, quote, going to private fancy schools. Now, a Christian school generally is private. It's not exactly a fancy school, but from, from the, from the left's twisted ideological point of view, if it's a Christian school and a private school, it's privileged because after all, everybody else is going to public school with those fancy khakis and sports backpacks. So you've got here that class resentment. So you have the racial element. You've got the anti-Christian element with the fancy khakis and sports backpacks with their daddy's Mustangs and convertibles. F you little S-H-I-T-S. Um, I wish to shoot you um, uh, with your mop yellow hair. Kill all you little crackers with your with your white privileges. Interesting, isn't it? And then interestingly, F you... F-A-G-G-O-T-S. Here's a transgender person using that term, faggot, as a slur. So this is how, this is the twisted world that these people come out of. But this is also why the FBI is like, we don't want to release this. Because if we do, it becomes obvious that this lunatic was motivated by hatred of Christians Hatred of kids that she sees are somehow privileged, even though it's not obvious that they are at all. This, these stereotypes of these kids being, coming in their daddy's Mustangs, they're, uh, quote, uh, they are little crackers. I mean, imagine thinking of children in this way and thinking that they somehow deserve to die. And, and so this is a force that is in our society. And I'm sure that Audrey Hale, or Aiden Hale is not the only person that thinks like this. And so you would think that the FBI, if again, if the, if the FBI was doing its law enforcement job, they'd be like, well, yeah, all right. There might be some threats that come from over here, but now there are also some serious threats that are coming from over here. And we need to investigate this as a wider phenomenon. But they don't want to do that because they're putting out this one-sided narrative that threats are coming from, you know, the grandmothers who went in the Capitol on January 6th. Meanwhile, these greater threats that are coming from the other side, ideologically, are somehow ignored. I'm going to conclude my discussion today of the interrogation, the chapter in Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago called The Interrogation. This is when they tried to get you to sign, to get you to confess. And Solzhenitsyn has just gone through multiple ways in which they try to pressure you, to break you down, to torture you. And uh, we're now to the end of the chapter where he talks about kind of the last way. And um, so far, all the ways that we've looked at involve the interrogator or the team of interrogators. Let's remember, sometimes it's it's like um, they one guy wears you down, then, then he goes and gets a nap, and the next guy comes in, and so they keep you awake the whole time, but they're working in shift, so they're getting plenty of sleep. But finally, let's say all of this doesn't really work. He, all the pressure tactics, all the torture tactics. Well, Solzhenitsyn then goes, well, they also have something else. They have people inside the camp, inside the prison, and these are the, the stoolies. The stoolies are the stool pigeons. A stool bit pigeon is really somebody who is a prisoner, but he's working for the interrogators. He's a prisoner, but he's in collusion with the authorities. His job is to take you over the edge, to get you to the finish line, to get that final 
um, um, surrender on your part that makes you go, okay, fine, I will, I will sign. And here, Solzhenitsyn talks about the techniques used not by the interrogator directly, but by these stoolies. And then Solzhenitsyn realizes how horrible the situation is. He goes, may you be judged by God, but not by people. So he just, it's a rare case where Solzhenitsyn kind of has an exclamation right in the middle of his writing. <clears throat> there is no way out. You have to confess to everything, whisper the stoolies who have been planted in the cell. So one of the ways you get someone to give up is you basically say, you've already lost. So whatever fight you planned or whatever fight is still in you is kind of to no point. You're going to be fighting, but the end is going to be the same thing. So you might as well give in. There is no way out. You have to confess to everything. Here's the next one. It's a simple question. Hang on to your health. Say people with common sense. Solzhenitsyn is being a little sarcastic here. Or you can't get new teeth. Uh, so... This is an appeal to the fact that, look, you're going to confess now or they're going to beat you up and break your teeth and then you'll confess later. So why don't you save your teeth and confess now? And that way you'll, you don't have to go through that additional pain because the outcome again is going to be the same. Remember that the inevitability of the outcome is really what is being pressed upon the prisoners here. <clears throat> again, the same theme. They are going to convict you in any case, whether you confess or whether you don't. Conclude those who have got who have got to the bottom of things. Now, it's important to realize that the things that the stoolies, the stool pigeons, are telling the prisoner are true. In other words, the outcome is determined in advance. It is the case that if you don't confess, they will beat you up some more. It is the case that you can hold on to your teeth if you sign. So the prisoner is actually in a terrible situation because it's bad enough when someone is just telling you lies. But when they're telling you something that is true, what are they doing? But they are just um, impressing upon you the hopelessness of your situation. And this is this is how a full-fledged police state feels. I don't want to sort of gloss over it. And, um, and then says Solzhenitsyn that if you are a communist, they'll plant another communist in the cell. And that communist will say something to you like this. This is fascinating to me. It's our duty to support Soviet interrogation. It's a combat situation. We ourselves are to blame. We were too soft-hearted. And now look at all the rot that has multiplied in the country. The party is not obliged to account for what it does to every single one of us to explain the whys and wherefores. If they ask us to, that means we should sign. So the appeal here, interestingly, is to communist ideology itself. Hey, you're, you're a communist, aren't you? So you might think that this process is unfair, but isn't communism really a doctrine of the collective? It's not a doctrine about the individual. So if you accept the doctrine, then you're just part of this collective. And the collective, the party, has these interrogation procedures. Now, it's not obliged to explain why in every single case they are absolutely correct. They might be, they might make a mistake here or they might go too far over there, but so what? Their decision is supreme. After all, once you accept the right of the party to rule, 
and the right of the party to set up its own criminal procedures and its own interrogation procedures, then you have to recognize that the procedures themselves are just by your own, by your own map, by your own standards. And so succumb to those standards. They're not somebody else's standards. They're your standards. And so in this way, and it's very interesting here, isn't it, that in the end, police states go after their own team. They go after socialists. They go after communists. No one is safe. Uh, and that's a point that is made in the movie uh, Police State. Uh, we're not at this stage of the police state, but it's interesting to know that if we keep going the way we are, at some point, we will be. Subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify, or watch on Rumble, YouTube, and SalemNow.com.